You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, July 16, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. Romans 6. This is one of my favorite, favorite chapters in the book of Romans. We're going we're gonna to take this thing, take it running, go run right with it. Some of my favorite, some of my favorite scriptures from Romans is actually in Romans six. There's actually a story that kind of goes along with this, and I'll explain it after we read this. These first two, these first two verses, in verse one and two, it says, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that may that grace may increase? By no means. We are no we we." We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you a little story about the Romans. If they could justify sin in any way, they would. The reason he says this, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? The idea was, the Roman people, what they would do is they would think, well, we want to sin more, 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 because that means that we get more, 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 more grace. You know, so it's, it, was, it was almost like a justification to do whatever the heck they wanted, and lots of it, because we could sin, 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 because we'll be forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. If, if, we, could be, if we could be the masters of sin, that means we would be the, the master recipients of grace. Do you wonder, even though we, when we say that, and this is true, this was the, kind of the Roman attitude, and this is specifically what he's dealing with. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. In fact, in other words, say we are died to sin. How can we go ahead living in it? Do we sometimes live that way, though? Do we sometimes live like because we know we're forgiven and we know regardless of what kind of what we do, we, we will find that grace? Do we sometimes live recklessly because we depend so much on grace? Or do we always try to walk the straight and narrow because it's the right thing to do? It's the thing that God wants us to do. Or have we, let's, let's, let's crank this down a notch. Maybe there's a sin in our lives, something, that, something that's gotten kind of comfortable to us. That's the, that's the scary thing about sin. Sin is, can be comfortable. Anything that can be comfortable, bad things. You know, sometimes... Sometimes I've I've talked to people that who are depressed and they hate depression, but it's still almost comfortable to them because it's what they know. And, and, and sometimes it's almost hard to let go because they understand it. Do we how we can apply that to almost anything? Any type of sin. You can name any sin. Lying. Well, yeah, lying's wrong. But you know what? It kind of keeps me from being held accountable. It's kind of my friend that gets me out of stuff. You, you know, but, but Jesus will forgive me. But Jesus will forgive me. Yeah, he will. The problem is, and we were talking about this, we were talking about this in Sunday school, I brought this up. When Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And so what was he saying? He was saying that because of me now, because I'm here, you have to make a decision. You, you know, you're... Your friends may no longer like you. Your family may no longer like you if you, you follow me. But because I'm here, now there's no walking the fence. There's no, there's, there's no just, I, I can live on both sides. I can assure you, you cannot run with the devil and walk with God. It can't be done. It can't be done. 
But how often do we try to do that? How often do we try to run with the devil and walk with God? It can't happen. You can't walk the fence. There are no gray areas with God. You're on one side or the other. Now, what this doesn't say is that, that, that okay, when you mess up, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I've just, just messed up. I guess, I guess he's going to toss me back over to the other side. It doesn't say that at all. But we need to make a choice. We need to make a choice to follow Christ or to follow our own way. You can't do it both ways. You can't, you can't live your life for you and live your life for Christ. You can't live a life of righteousness and the life of unrighteousness, because one of them is going to be your master. Is Jesus going to be your master? Or are you going to be your master? Is righteousness going to be your master? Or is unrighteousness going to be your master? Because you will love one and you will hate the other. Guess what? That's in the Bible. Why can't, why can't a person serve two masters? Because they will love one and hate the other. So, do we want to use grace like a crutch? Because that's what the Romans were doing. They were using grace as a crutch and a justification to do whatever the heck they wanted. This goes back to the thing I've been saying almost every Sunday for the last year. The law is still relevant. You know, even when you mess up, there is grace. But you don't completely disregard the law. You don't intentionally sin Leaning on grace and say, oh, it's okay, I can do this because, because grace, will, grace will, will, will just, it, it just wipes it all away. Don't abuse the grace that you've been given. Appreciate it for the gift that it is. How can we continue to live in it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's why you, you all haven't seen me dunk anybody yet. I haven't talked any of y'all into the water yet. But that's why when I dunk people, I say buried in the likeness of his death and raised in newness of life. You know, that's, that's not just something that I say. It's not some ritualistic thing. That's literally what, it's a symbolism. It's a it's symbolic of your burial in the likeness of his death and being raised in newness of life. So don't you know that you were baptized in Christ Jesus? So when, so when you have this relationship with Christ and you were buried with him, so should this attitude of unrighteousness, so should this willingness to, be, to want to walk the fence, so should this willingness to be okay with sin, we are to love God but hate sin. You can't flirt with it, church. The Romans were flirting with sin. We all do from time to time. We just do. Should we be okay with that? Absolutely not. We should be living a life that is a reflection that just as Christ died and we were buried with him in baptism, that we were raised in the newness, we don't have to be the person we were. We don't have to act like the person we were. In fact, we should strive not to be. Don't let your sin be that familiar friend. Here's another thing. What, what, how do you comfort yourself? 
when, 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 the, when life is just squeezing you, squeezing you, you all have that. All of us, at one point, life squeezes us. And we, we all have a tendency to have a go-to of how we comfort ourselves, how we kind of deal with the squeezing of life. For some, it may be alcohol. For some, it could be pornography. For some, it could be anything, anything that you could use as a crutch or a go-to that is familiar, that is not God. There's an issue. There's a problem. How do you comfort yourself? We all do it. That self-soothing is a natural part of who you are. Have you ever seen people sit and they rock like this? They're self-soothing. It's natural. It's what some people do to feel better. Well, we often, too, have things that we go to to make us feel better. But what's the problem with that? Let's, let's go back to the Ten Commandments. You shall know other God before me. What is a God? A God is the thing that controls your life. A God is the thing that you give your devotion to. A God is your go-to when you need comforting. A God is all of these things. So if all of a sudden you're using the substitute as a, as a go-to to, to soothe yourself, is it not becoming a God in your life? I would suggest to you that it is. When life is squeezing you, and we all, we all experience that. Nobody gets through life without having the of life. Nobody. But when you're having that, and you've got that vice grip going on, where's your go-to? Is it the bottle? Is it the drug? Is it any of these things? Or is it God? You should have one go-to. You should have one thing that is God over your life, and it should be God. As simple as that might sound, it's not so simple in the way we live our lives. Man, I've, I had a stressful day. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to just drive my car really, really fast because I need the adrenaline. There are a lot of people I know who are adrenaline junkies. The adrenaline Adrenaline is their comfort. Adrenaline is their go-to. They feel, they, 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 they're getting that of life and they want to jump out of an airplane or something like that because they, the adrenaline makes them feel better. Oh my goodness, I'm telling you, that's a real thing. And I get it. I have to admit, when I've driven my car in triple digits, going down the middle of the road, it's an exciting feeling. I get why people would, could get hooked on that. For me, though, it's just the fear of hitting a deer at 130 miles an hour. That's a wake-up. For some people, they don't care. The adrenaline. There are people who are adrenaline junkies. Does the adrenaline become their God? A God is anything. Anything that's in that top spot in your life. And again, you can't have two masters. You can't entertain your sin because let's think about this. If you're flirting with sin and you're entertaining your sin, and sin is the thing that, that, that comforts you, who's really the God there? Let's not just look at 
the way you're using it, or that thing that you're using, who's the author of those things? Could it be the devil himself? Who is your God? If you are using and comforting or flirting with sin, you're placing something in that top spot in your heart, and it's not God. And all these things that are actual sin, there's somebody behind it. There's somebody behind it. Even though in their flesh is always behind it, I guarantee you there's somebody that's not my Father in heaven that's trying to encourage you to use these comforts that are not God. Have you ever, have you ever just, just, just felt really down and thought, man, it'd be really nice just to get plastered? Now, let's go get a fifth of liquor. Let's go get ourselves a, a case of beer. Before you do that, have you ever felt that voice that says, nobody will know? It's just you. It's just you. Go ahead and drink it. Go ahead and drink yourself into oblivion. You'll feel better. It's just you. Nobody will know. It's just your secret. What do you think that is? That's hell speaking to you. We try to rationalize. We can rationalize ourselves in that way, but I can assure you, if that little voice is saying, I don't care what that crutch is, nobody's going to know. You're by yourself. This is a secret. Just, it's just you. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Get on that computer. Look at those naked people. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. It's just you. I'm telling you, that's hell. That's hell. What do I know about the devil? He looks to steal, kill, and destroy. So when we're entertaining sin this way, we're supposed to be living as though we were buried with Christ and raised in the newness of life with Christ. When we're not living buried with him in death and raised with him in life, and we're entertaining the voice that says, hey, nobody knows who's really your master. I'm not preaching to you guys. I'm preaching to us. Trust me, nothing that I'm saying, nothing that I'm saying, I have not experienced. What is your comfort? Four, if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that their old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we shall no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is a mouthful. Because we have been united with Christ in his death, First of all, do you understand that you have been? If you are a believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that new covenant 
in his blood that he talks about. You are connected, not only in his death, not only does the old self, the old you, become crucified when you become a believer. Just like that, that death, you've, you've united with him in that death, you've also united with him in his rising up. You don't have to be a slave to your sin. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Believers are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Does that mean that everything becomes easy? Oh my goodness, it doesn't become easy. Because even though you are a new, you have a new inside, you're still wrangling with that flesh. You still have to wrangle with this, this fleshly body and its desires. You, you're still, you might have Christ's righteousness as a gift, and you may, the old you may have been crucified, and there may be a new you, but you're still dealing with this thing right here. So it's not easy. But we need to live like crucified people. We need to live in a way that we are dead to sin and that we are no longer slaves to sin. Believers have been set free by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to be sins or, or, or slaves to sin any longer. Even though that, that the grace of God continues to rise and rise and rise regardless of how dark we are, we still need to live like believers. We need to live a life worthy of the call that you've been given. We need to live like crucified people who even though we do sin and we do struggle, we need to repent. There's that word I talk about a lot. Repent. Repent. Why do we have to repent? Because when we live like we are our old selves, we need to agree with God that we are wrong in the thing that we were doing and we need to turn from those things and we need to turn away from those things. We need to turn away from our sins. We need to turn away from the things that we do and we need to turn towards him. Yeah. Repent. That repentance. Wow. That's the beautiful thing about Christ. The forgiveness is already there. Because you are forgiven. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You're still blameless in his sight because he sees his righteousness that he's given you. But we need to live that way. We need, we need not just to abuse grace. Because let me tell you what, we can try to, but God will not be mocked. All those times that you thought that you've gone to that comfort and it was just you. What's another thing we know about believers? The Holy Spirit does what? He tabernacles in us. What does that mean? He lives in you. Regardless of the fact that you cannot escape the Spirit of God, you cannot escape His Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, He's in you. You think you're, going to, you think you're ever just by yourself? You're never just by yourself. That little voice that tells you you are, that's a lie. You're never by yourself. You know what Jonah thought he was going to escape? That's the whole reason he got on the boat and tried to 
You know, he figured, man, God's not going to find me at Tarshish. That's the other side of the, of, of, of the known world, what I would call the known world. He, surely he's not all the way over there. I can run from God. I can run from God, and, and he's going to squish the Assyrians because he's not going to, there's no way in the world, there's no way in the world he's going to get me there. He can't, he can't, he's not going to pull me back here. What's David talking about? It doesn't matter if you go to the highest mountain or the, or the depths of the lowest part of the sea. You're, you're there, Lord. But for the believer, every believer, post-resurrection and post the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection, you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's never just you. It's never just you. We need to live with an awareness that where we are, so is he. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should not be slaves to, save, or slaves to sin. <laughs> Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who's died has been set free from sin. You were buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. And I think I just went too far. Now my computer's messed up. I'm batting a thousand. Now that if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Have you ever heard Jesus called the firstborn of creation or the firstborn of man, the firstborn period? Have you ever heard him called that? There, there's, there's a significant reason why he's called that. Everyone who has been brought back from the dead, except one, Jesus, they've died again. Lazarus, guess what? Lazarus was raised from the dead. He died again. When, 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 Jesus, when Jesus died, what, what do we know? That, man, the tombs were like, they were like emptying out. All these dead people were coming back to life. All this, we know this. Guess what? Every single one of them, dead. Jesus is the first one. He's the firstborn who, when he came, was risen from the dead, he never died again and never will. Why? Because he has mastery over death. Mastery over death. Jesus is alive. And he's also the only one that so far has what, what we like to call the resurrection body. That, what, what do we see about Jesus when he came back to life? You know, the, the disciples are hiding in the room. They're in a, the, the, the door's locked. And what's it, what, poof, he shows up in the middle of them. You know, that's a resurrection body. That's, that, has, that has abilities that even the people who were dead and came back to life didn't have. So he's the only one who has been, who was dead, raised again, already has this resurrection body, and will never die again. So that's why he's the firstborn. And why will he never die again? Because he has mastery over death. That makes him pretty special in my book. But the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Why did he die even the first time? There was no, there was actually, 
we know we know from the law that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But why did he, why why else did he die? There was no other way to beat sin. Jesus died so that sin would die. That's a pretty good Jesus right there. Now that's the kind of Messiah that I can be excited about. The kind of Messiah that would come and save me, the promised one, the anointed one, who would come and save me, not from, not from the taxes from the United States government, but from the sin that seemed to plague my life, because I was dead before Jesus. Because he has mastery over death, I do because of him. You know, I'm alive spiritually. This flesh may die, but the inside part of me, it never dies. I go on forever because of him, because my Jesus has mastery over death and hell. And I will never have to taste that part. I may die a physical death. We all have to die a physical death once. But I will never die a spiritual death, and I will never know what hell's like, because my Jesus has mastery over the death. He has mastery over the grave. He has mastery over sin. Sin has died because of him. If you are dead to sin, don't resurrect it back in your life again. Don't bring it back. Don't bring it back. Because let me tell you what, if it comes back, if you start, if you're doing the same stuff you were doing now that you were doing before Jesus, it's because you've made a choice to bring it back. Because you were dead to that. It might be your old comfortable friend. It might just be something you enjoy a lot. Whatever the case may be, you need to live crucified. And even more importantly than living crucified, you need to live like you are raised again with mastery over that thing. Jesus has set you free, church. He has set you free. Sin may have once ruled you. It may have reigned over you. It, you may have been, it may have been your master. But because of Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. You have a new nature. You have a righteousness that was given to you. You need to. We need to say this very same thing that, 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 that John the Baptist said. God, I must decrease. You must increase. I need this flesh to decrease. I need my will to decrease. I need my desires to decrease. I need my old vices to decrease. I need anything that is opposed to the law and opposed to the will of God needs to decrease in my life. And where it goes down, I need him to go up. More of him, less of me. You know, the only thing in me worth saving, in my opinion, is what he's put there. <laughs> I don't know why Jesus saved me. I don't. I do because the Bible tells me that he created me in his image and he loves me and, 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 and I'm beautiful in his eyes. That's true of all of you. If you don't feel beautiful, guess what? That's a lie. You were made beautiful by your creator. But when I evaluate who I was before Jesus, 
Now evaluate sometimes who I am after Jesus. I don't get why he did it. I don't. There's nothing here that nice. I got an attitude, believe it or not. I got, I got stuff. There is nothing. That's why it's so great that I have the righteousness of Christ. Because my righteousness doesn't look so hot. Without Him, I am nothing. Without, if we're not connected to the vine, we are nothing. Oh, Lordy. No longer slaves. He's the master. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, which we've been talking about. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. I would dare say the first thoughts. When we start doing this in the morning, I think our lives will look much different. If the first thing when you wake up, and usually mine is, oh, my back, oh, my knee, oh, my arm. That's usually my first things. If the first thing that came out to my mind was, thank you, Jesus, because I'm still here. Thank you, Jesus. There's another opportunity to share you. And the second thing that came to my mind was, Lord, here's the reins. You take them. Let your will be done and not my own. I think my life would look a lot different. I think if I did that instead of on my back, on my knees, on my shoulder, we might have to have two services in here. You laugh. You'd be, you'd be crazy. You'd be surprised what God can do. So I need to fix me too. Need to fix me too. That's the funny thing about the way church growth works. A church never grows until its leadership can support that growth. Because God's not going to send us people to injure and send back out. So when I get right, and leadership gets right, God help us. I've been to churches, I've been, I've been parts of churches that had three services. But in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. He's, he's pushing on. It's getting even more and more real. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourselves to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin. Could that be your eyes? I think it could be. 
even though I believe this, you know, Jesus was using exaggerated speech to make a, a very strong point. Because Paul tells us, you know, if you destroy your temple, you, you know, you'll be destroyed. But Jesus was making a point when he said, if your eyes sin, it's better to pluck that thing out. Do you think he actually wanted you to physically pluck your eye out? That would kind of be contradictory to what Paul was saying, but I think he was making a strong point. As, as important as your vision is, what's more important is being right with God. If your eyes cause you to sin, how about your ears, stuff you listen to? Or your nose? I've seen a lot of people with drugs. There's more things you can do with your nose than just smell. How about your mouth? Let me tell you about your mouth. This, this is, and this is, this, is, this is a Bible thing, the stuff that's in your heart, out of the abundance of what's out of your heart, flows out of your mouth. So the mouth is a really big indicator of what's in here. If your heart is overflowed with love, guess what? Love. If your heart is overflowing with hate, hate. If your heart is critical, criticism comes out of your mouth all the time. If you have prejudice in your heart, it comes out of your mouth. So yes, we need to offer our mouths to Christ, not only because it can cause us to sin, it's, it's, it shows an even bigger issue of it shows what's in your heart. Your hands. I can think of a thousand ways that you can sin with your hands. Those private parts we can't talk about in church. There's lots of ways you can sin with those. No part of your body. No part. From the little calluses at the bottoms of your feet because you walk a lot to the, the falling out hair follicles on the top of my head. It's all supposed to be his. Because when he died, and I died with him, and he raised the newness of life, and I raised the newness of life, all of this becomes his. I, don't, I should not, and I don't want to try to take it back. Because I, don't want, I want to live like, like sin is dead in my life. Sin no longer is your master. Because you're under grace. I can't even, I can't even begin to, to stress how big that is. Being under grace and not the law. How does that work? If I say that the law is still relevant, but you're not under it. How does that work? The way that works is the law does teach us right and wrong, but attached to what's wrong comes a punishment. All of it. Every sin 
has a punishment attached to it, a true punishment. But as believers, to say that you're not under law doesn't mean that you don't have to do the rights and the wrongs of the law, but it means that punishment that comes with violation of the law, you're not under that anymore. Why? Because blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So the penalty that comes with the law does not apply to you because you are under the grace of Jesus. Should we live our lives grateful? Do we live our lives grateful? I would submit that I don't. I don't. There's a part of me that's very grateful. There's a part of me that just doesn't even think about it. Is that truly grateful? So I'm pointing out things in me I need to fix. (laughs) So I have to ask you that yourselves. Do you live life grateful? At any time, at any given point of any day, do you just stop and think, you're a really good God. Thank you. Thank you. Even though I'm in this really stinky world, I'm glad that you're my safe place. I'm glad that even when everything around me seems to be collapsing, you are my safe tower that I run into. Do I do that? Do I ever stop and say, you know what? I've had things wrong with me and I've bounced back because there's healing in your wings. Thank you for healing in your wings. I can't remember. Because as I'm saying this, I'm reflecting. I can't remember the last time I thanked Jesus for saving me from hell. Can't remember. Can't remember. I mean, I talk about it. But when's the last time I just stopped in the middle of my day and said, Jesus, thank you. I'm not going to be like that, that, that bush with Moses, going to just burn, burn, burn and not be consumed. Where there's a lot of screaming and gnashing of teeth and, and, and people trying to torture me, the demons being down there. This is horrible. Thank you for saving me from that. How often do I say that? Because hell's real, folks. There are people who will try to tell you that a loving God does not create something like a hell and he doesn't send people to it. But what does Matthew tell us? To the people that, whose their, their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, he will say, depart from me, ye cursed, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for you. Hell was a punishment for Satan and his demons. That is why hell exists. Does God send people to hell? He absolutely does not send people to hell. You are born children of Satan, and you will follow your king to their ultimate destination. Will you continue to follow your father Satan, or will you switch sides and become a child of the king and follow him 
to heaven. We send ourselves to hell. We made it. He made it so easy not to go there. How can we say God sent somebody to hell when he sent his son Jesus to die and to take our place so that we didn't have to? Does that sound like a God who sends anybody to hell? That's a God who does anything and everything to rescue you from the punishment designed for the devil and his angels. God does not send people to hell. We just voluntarily go. So many do. But thank God I know Jesus. And I need to live grateful. I need to live a life that is grateful. That that I know the creator of the universe. I know the same Jesus that spoke universes into existence with his mouth. God said, let there be life. And boom, there was light. Let there be light. And there was light. He spoke universes and stars into existence. I know that, Jesus. There's your Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Jesus said, let there be life. And boom, there was light. There's your Big Bang. That's the Jesus who came here and died for me so I didn't have to go to hell. That's the same Jesus who gave me a new nature. That's the same Jesus who, who... who allowed me to be buried with him in death and raised in newness in life. That's the same Jesus that's going to raise this flesh again one day after it dies. And I'm going to have one of those cool resurrection bodies and I'm going to be able to poop here and there. I think that's our thing. I think that's the thing. How else am I going to see all the cool things that he's created unless I can poop, poop, poop? That's my Jesus. We need to live grateful, and we need to live a life that's crucified. That wasn't one of my pointless rabbit, rabbit holes, rabbit trails. Why did I say all of that? Because you have a lot to be thankful for. You have a lot to be grateful for. You serve a God who you should want to live crucified. You should you follow a God who should make you not want to have anything to do with sin because we know it upsets him. You serve a God who loves you so much that he's paid the ultimate price so that you didn't have to be a sin of, 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 or a slave of sin anymore. So why are you? Why am I? Because I, it needs to be less of me and more of him. I need to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. 